Welcome back to another episode of Sports Escape. I'm Brody. Today we're going to be going over, um, I think it's again two topics, um, but the first one that we're going to be going over is should Major League Baseball teams call up their prospects quicker? Um, The minor league system in the MLB, it's like really complicated. They're there's like single A, double A, triple A, um, and most times a lot of young players go up and down those and, you know, they don't really make it to the MLB until they're older. Um, but recently we've seen a lot of prospects that have been called up. Um, most recently, um, Wander Franco of the Rays. Uh, that was he was pretty much the number one prospect in baseball, and he hit a home run in his first game, and that really was like to me that was like, well, you know, we're seeing all these young stars in baseball. Like, should MLB teams call up their prospects more often? Because when you look at the top players in baseball right now, um, I mean, the top players really depend on opinion, but I think that. You know, it's pretty clear that Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, they're all top players in baseball. And they're all also, I think, younger than, like, what, 25 or something? Yeah, because Ronald Acuna is 23, yes. They're all younger than 24. Um, and so they've all produced pretty much since day one. I remember Juan Soto... Was it, I don't, I can't remember if it was his, I think it was the game after his debut was where he hit his first home run. Uh, Because I remember the Nats brought him in. I don't think it was to start a game. I think he was going as a pinch hitter. And then I think he struck out his first at bat actually. And then I remember in his second game, maybe his third or fourth, but very early on, he did hit a home run. Um, and we've seen this production from a lot of young players, like I just said. Um, guys like Acuna and also Tatis. But then you've also got Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's only 22. I believe he's currently leading the MLB in home runs. Um, and I... This wasn't, like, a planned episode. I kind of just thought about, like, how, you know, teams who leave their players just down in the minors. I mean, because then you look at the White Sox. They've got a bunch of young players. Um, Some of them are injured. uh, But they do have a lot of young players younger players um i'm not gonna say like young prospects but tim anderson's pretty young german mercedes who was a guy we saw come up and play great earlier this season um and luis robert or even though he's kind of has missed a lot of time this year um he's still young and one of the best young players in the mlb you've got nick madrigal at second base he is only um, 24, but he's another White Sox player who's missed a lot of time. He's currently on the 60-day IL, I believe. Um, 
But anyways, I do think that it would be beneficial to a lot of teams to bring up their young star prospects because, I mean, we've seen it before. And I do think we're going to keep seeing more and more of it because not only with Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna Jr., um, but you've got guys like Rafael Devers, who's only 24. Um, Eloy Jimenez, another White Sox player who's been going through some injury struggles. He actually, I don't think, has had an bat yet. But then you've got Jared Kalenic of the Mariners, who was their number one prospect. Um, he's come into the MLB. Uh, he came earlier this season. And he is currently hitting... Um, I think he is currently hitting in 2021 a combined... Yeah, he's, so he's hitting a combined... Uh, And so he hasn't been that great in the MLB. In Seattle, he's hitting... um, He's hitting .096, but then he's also got an on-base percentage of 185, slugging 193, OPS 378. So this is certainly an argument you could make because it doesn't look like he's ready, but I think a lot of these young stars deserve a chance to play. Because if you just go like through a list of players that aren't 25 yet, you'll see a lot of the best players in baseball and a lot of exciting prospects who I think are ready to come up and play. Um, so that's pretty much it for that topic. I wasn't planning on talking about that too much. Um, but now we're going to go back over to the NFL, and we're going to go over one rookie I think is going to surprise a lot of people from each round of the 2021 NFL draft. And so starting off in round one, I've got Greg Newsome of the Browns. I talked about him before. Um He's not the guy who's going to go out there and be like Xavier Howard and get all those interceptions racked up, but he's going to be the guy who can consistently break up passes, especially when it matters. Um, I liked the way that he played at Northwestern, although I think most of his draft stock rose after the season had ended. But anyways, I don't really think it matters where his draft stock goes because I think Newsom is a great player. I think he could have gone I think he could have gone a little bit earlier. I'll be honest. I think that I was I think I was planning on him going originally at like 16, maybe 17 late teens, early 20s. He ended up falling mid to late 20s at 26. Um, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people because I think that a lot of people really haven't heard about him that much and I think he's definitely going to be a great player now for round two a player who's going to 
surprise a lot of people. There are a lot of players who I think could surprise people here. Um, I think a lot of players here were slept on, but I'm gonna go with um. Hi, uh, there's kind of a toss-up between two people here. But I'm going to stick to my first idea here, and that is Dwayne Eskridge, the receiver out of Western Michigan. Um, and I think a lot of people dislike this pick for the Seahawks because, um, you know, they didn't really need that much receiver. I mean, you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But um, Dwayne Eskridge is a great player. I think he's very underrated. Now, should the Seahawks have picked him over their other needs when there were guys like Creed Humphrey, Josh Myers on the offensive line, or, you know, Nick Bolton, Pete Werner, Carlos Basham on the defensive side of the ball. You know, that's something else that you could talk about. But I'm not really going by the pick. I'm going more by the player. Um, and I think that Eskridge is definitely going to surprise a lot of people. Um, he is currently, I think he's... I don't know how tall he is, but um, I think he's definitely an underrated player. I liked watching him at, um, I think it was, what, Western Michigan? Um, or, yeah, it was Western Michigan. Uh, he's, yeah, he's not a big guy. He's only 5'9", um, and also stands at 190 pounds so he's not a bigger guy but I think he's still definitely going to surprise a lot of people I think he's gonna have more opportunity in the Seahawks offense to do so um especially now that like I wouldn't say there's an opening in the receiver but losing David Moore for Seattle it it's gonna create a window of opportunity for him and I think he's going to do very well with it. Um, and so I can't wait to see how he does his rookie year. But anyways, now we're on to the third round. Where we've got, again, another round where I think there's a lot of underrated players. But here, I'm going to go with another wide receiver. And I'm going to go with Nico Collins, the receiver out of Michigan, who went to Houston. Um, out of Michigan, he is definitely going to make an impact right away with that um, Texans offense that's not very good at the moment. Um but down the field, like, he's a very, very big deep threat. And I think that, you know, you've already kind of got that with Brandon Cooks, but I think it's going to be very – I think it's really going to be good. It's always good to have a deep threat. Um, you can really never have too many, in my opinion. I think that's something 
that's very important among receivers to keep the defense honest and, you know, not really – it just makes the defense worry a lot more than, you know, if you didn't have anybody deep and they knew you weren't going to beat them down the field. But I think he's definitely going to need a little bit of time to maybe develop. But I think if he develops properly, he's going to be one of the best receivers from this draft. Um, he just needs to develop the other parts of his game. Uh, and so I think he'll be good once, again, he develops the other parts of his game other than the deep threat part. But I think he'll definitely have a lot of opportunity to get the development that he needs, and I think he will be a big factor in the Texans' offense in a couple of years. Now we are moving on to the fourth round, I think. And here I'm going to go with, um, I think, the second pick of the round, and I'm going to go with Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina. He was a little bit overshadowed by his teammate, Javante Williams, but I think he honestly slipped a lot farther than I was expecting him to. Um, but I think he's definitely going to have, again, opportunity to take over as the number one back in New York. A lot of these picks aren't based on talent as much as they are opportunity. I think I'm factoring in a lot of opportunity here. So I think that Javante, not Javante Williams, Michael Carter, same, same school, but I think they're going to give Carter a lot of opportunity because, I mean, they've really got nobody else in the backfield. You got Tevin Coleman, who's right now your number one back, but that's not really anything to brag about there. Um, I think Carter is definitely going to succeed in New York um, because, I mean, he gets a lot of yards off after contact. He's very good at, you know, breaking past the first tackle. Um, and so I think he's definitely going to succeed. Like I said, he's I think he's the best, honestly, at getting past the line of scrimmage. He can, you know, get past those first two defenders, whether it's breaking the tackle or making some smart moves uh, inside or outside. And so I definitely think Carter is going to be able to succeed in New York with the opportunity that he has and the talent that he has. I am looking forward to that. Now into the fifth round, I've got another Houston Texans draft, draft pick. <clears throat> and um, I mean, yeah, they're not, they might not have the best team, but think they've got a lot of picks with a ton of potential here and I've got Brevin Jordan the tight end out of Miami very surprised he fell that far um all the way down to pick 147 which I think was like probably like 75 picks lower than where he should have gone but regardless of that he is a very dynamic weapon I mean he's very similar to Kyle Pitts um 
I'd say Pitts is better, of course, but um, Jordan is still very versatile as well. You can put him on a lot of different parts of the field. You can pretty much work him at receiver like you can Pitts. He's pretty much like Kyle Pitts, but, you know, not as, you know, big of a prospect. But I do think that he is the third best tight end in the draft. And I think the Texans got a great value here at 147. I don't think a lot of people have really heard about Brevin Jordan that much. Um, But I definitely think he is a great tight end. And with the opportunity, once again, I'm talking about this a lot, but I'm going to keep talking about it a lot because, you know, I think he will be able to beat out like Jordan Aikens and Darren Fells for that number one tight end spot. I think he honestly might have it by week one of the season. I don't really see any reason why he can't. Um, actually, no. Yeah, he's only really got Jordan Aikens to beat out. Um, Darren Fells, I think, went elsewhere. Um, but I definitely do think he will succeed with the opportunity that he'll be given. Um, and so I've got Kyle Pitts 2.0 as that surprise pick there. Now on to the sixth round. Um, there really weren't too many names here that I was thinking about, you know, when I first looked at it, but there was really one guy who I liked, and that was Shai Smith, uh, the receiver out of South Carolina. Again, I thought he could have gone much higher. I thought he would have probably gone around like 170. He fell all the way to 204. Um, I think he probably could have gone earlier than a 170. I think he probably might have gone around 150. But he fell all the way to number 204. And he is he's a great player, but I think he's been hasn't been talked about too much because he hasn't got the production that he can put up because South Carolina's quarterbacks really just haven't been all that great. But he's going to Carolina with Sam Darnold, who we'll wait and see how he plays. But um he definitely uh, can get a big jump off the line of scrimmage, can get past defensive backs early and get open a lot. Um, um, he, I don't think he's really that big of a player, um, but he's quick, he's fast, and I do definitely think that Here's a situation where I think that, you know, the opportunity might be a problem behind DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. Um, And, I mean, he's only 5'10", 190. So he's pretty much an inch taller than Dwayne Eskridge, same weight. Um, But I just don't really see the opportunity. But I think if he earns his chance, I think he'll be really good for Carolina. And finally, seventh round. And here, I think I may be going with another receiver. 
you know what, actually, I'm going to switch things up. And I'm going to go with Patrick Johnson, the linebacker out of Tulane. Uh, he is another player who I thought could have gone earlier, but he's been, he's very productive. Um, in 34 games, he had 120 tackles, 34 for loss, 21 sacks, 11 pass breakups, and six forced fumbles. He was an absolute monster at Tulane. Um, I think he's definitely a versatile player. Coming off the edge, I think he's going to be great for the Eagles. I think, again, I'll say it again, I think he should have been picked up a lot earlier. Um, he's definitely going to... I think he could make an impact right away, really. Um, the Eagles' defense... I mean, I'm not going to say it's a bad defense, but there aren't too many household names. And so I think he could definitely make a quietly make his climb up that depth chart and get into, you know, not necessarily a starting role, but a role where he's going to get a lot of playing time and he's going to get to get onto the field. Um, and so he's currently, I think, like where on the depth chart. Um, I think he's like fourth or so, but I think definitely he will earn his chance. And one thing I'm not really, I don't really love about, you know, the fit, because I think Patrick Johnson would play well as like a linebacker coming off the edge in a 3-4, but the Eagles right now play a 4-3 defense. Um, but... I think he could be fine playing defensive end, probably. I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see on that. But anyways, that's all that I've got for today. So this was two things, mainly one, but I hope you enjoyed that. And that's all that I've got for today. I will see you soon for another episode.